This episode is brought to you by Say the Things Life Story Creations. Say the things to the ones who need to hear it. From a five-minute personalized message, short biography, or a whole biography, let us help you say the things about your life. Maybe it's your story that you leave after you're gone. Maybe it's you reading your grandchild's favorite book and giving it to them for their birthday. We offer a variety of services, and we're here to help you talk about you. Say the things. Contact us for a consultation. Say the things Midwest at gmail.com. Warning. This episode contains graphic details about rape and homicide. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Little Crimes on the Prairie. Today, we're talking about the murders of Larissa Dumansky and Piper Striley. Sioux Falls has a few really well-known notorious crimes. One is Gitchy Manitou and the cases of Robert Leroy Anderson, both of which have been written about by Phil and Sandy Heyman, husband and wife co-authors. I sat down with Phil and talked to him about these cases. How you doing, Phil? Very good. And, you know, we're blessed. Uh, actually, the Gitchy Girl story went to Hollywood. It's going to be... Uh on Killer Siblings next November, the series on NBC. Oh, so, wow, amazing. Yeah, so we're able, we're, NBC finally did the national press release, so now we can say that the Get You Girl story was one of 12 episodes that uh, Killer Siblings selected uh, to be part of their second season, starting this this fall. That's so exciting for you. What made you write about these particular cases? Well, in the Gitche Girl stories, I grew up with, uh, my best friend was murdered at Gitche Manitou State Park. I I lived in the same neighborhood. I knew all of those boys murdered. I went to school with them. And Sandra Chesky, the lone survivor of the Gitche Manitou mass murder, uh, was from my hometown. And I've known her since we've been teenagers. So it kind of just kind of came about that way. Right, right. And how about um, the cases of Robert Leroy Anderson? Well, you know, we, we were on the road speaking a lot for fundraisers and then libraries on Gitche Girl uh, around the region. And as we would uh, break up the talk on Gitche Girl, we had so many people saying, oh, would you write a book about Robert Leroy Anderson, the, the serial killer out of your hometown? And, you know, we, we were uh, living in Iowa when all that occurred. And we, we knew about it, uh, Christy, but we didn't, we didn't follow it terribly close, but we thought it was interesting. We, we assumed there was probably already a book or two out on it since it was such a huge case. And then when we found out there wasn't, we got uh, connected with Larry Long, who is actually uh, the former South Dakota state's attorney. And he was a prosecutor on the Robert Leroy Anderson duct tape killer crimes. And so we, uh, we linked up with uh, Larry Long and we uh, decided to write a book on it. In 1994, we mourned the loss of Kurt Cobain the Lion King was released, and O.J. Simpson fled the police in his white Bronco. The pulse of sleepy small towns across the Midwest quickened, with the beats dropped by Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, Biggie Smalls, Tupac Shakur, and just as their parents before them, and their parents before them, parents of the Midwest collectively told us to turn the damn music down. There was grunge, and there was rap, and our parents hated it all. But in our big city, Sioux Falls, there was something else going on. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, is the largest city in South Dakota. 
It's snuggled near the eastern border with Minnesota and Iowa's northeast corner. You can often find it on some list of the best places to live. Almost 30% of the state's population can be found in the Sioux Falls metro area. Yes, I used air quotes. It is probably the smallest metro area. Over two decades has passed since the confusion, worry, and ultimately the realization of the predator that lurked among South Dakota's East River metropolis. Hunting and studying women from all over the areas in and outside of Sioux Falls, this predator was insidiously astute, patient, and decisive. He preyed upon unsuspecting women, and he was a creature that lived beneath an exterior that was dangerously unnoticeable. In August 1994, Larissa Dumansky disappeared after a long night at work. The night shift at the John Morrell's meatpacking plant was really, really difficult work. But Larissa was up for the task. She and her husband Bill immigrated from Ukraine in 1991, determined to create a better life for their growing family. The mother of two girls found out she was six weeks pregnant. Larissa's van sat parked in the same spot she left it before walking into work that night. The disappearance of the doting mother and loving wife left investigators frustrated, her family devastated, and a burgeoning city shaking its head. Weeks turned into months, and then years, as the Dumansky family remained hopeful. Although they knew Larissa would never leave her life voluntarily, Larissa's husband Bill and their children held on to hope, and for three years, that was all they had. The answers they ultimately received were nothing short of unimaginable. In July of 1996, Piper Striley's disappearance was the catalyst that set off a chain of events, uncovering the sort of depravity that deserved to be kept in the dark recesses of a foul mind without context or a story to tell. But I'm going to tell the story to educate. Trust your gut, and if it doesn't feel right, it probably isn't. Piper's situation was one that mothers have nightmares about. The paralyzing idea of being taken away from your children in a manner that leaves them scarred as witnesses. Something so fucking terrifying, you can only hope your two and three-year-old will be safe long enough for you to endure whatever this is. Anything to get back to them. You hope that they understand the only thing that could have taken you is the fear of them being killed or death itself. Every mother I know would gladly stare death in the face if it meant putting distance between a monster and her children. You pray for your family as it all fades to black. And honestly, at this point, you're probably welcoming death after what he's done to you. Sexually violent predators most commonly use violence as a means to gain and maintain control of a non-consenting party. We all know and understand that sexually motivated assaults are difficult to endure, difficult to prove, and difficult to prosecute. This is likely why only 230 out of 1,000 sexual assaults are reported. Out of 1,000 sexual assaults, 995 perpetrators will walk free. Marquis de Sade was a French author and sexual deviant from whom we derived the word sadist. He was a pedophile, rapist, and a sexual terrorist. He is the father of the modern-day sexual sadist. These sexual sadists make up a small percentage of perpetrators. Not all rapists are sadists. These are the most extremely dangerous of sexual predators. Sexual sadists get pleasure from the pain, suffering, and or humiliation of their victims. 
Of course, all predators are terrifying, but there's something about these crimes that I find exceptionally horrifying. I think it's the pleasure they get from your suffering. They're unlikely to have any empathy for you in any capacity. Their ultimate satisfaction comes with watching you suffer and then die. I asked Phil how difficult it was to write this story. These two crimes were particularly heinous. Were there certain aspects about the crimes that were difficult to write about? Well, extremely. I mean, I lost some sleep over those these books. Uh, you know, Christy, you've been exposed to the story, but we tried to write them with the utmost respect to the victim. But I mean, this is it was a very difficult story to write. It, yeah, especially with, I, with, with 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 the children involved. You know. Yeah, yeah, I imagine that. You know, that was one of the things I thought about too as I listened to it on Audible. I I just couldn't help but imagine how difficult it was to write. Um, some portions of it. And we'll be right back. Hi there. I'm Megan. And I'm Danielle. And we are Crime and Roses. We are a true crime and bachelor franchise recap podcast. Yeah, we're both. We are two Georgia attorneys watching and recapping all things bachelor just for you. So we're talking bachelor, bachelorette, bachelor in paradise, winter games, summer games, all the games. Basically any show that ABC comes up with and forces us to watch. And then we'll release a true crime episode connected to what we've seen on the show that week. So if you don't like true crime, we have The Bachelor. And if you don't like The Bachelor, we have true crime. And if you don't like either, we're probably not the podcast for you. And that's okay. So if you're into one of those things, both of those things, come check us out as we combine our two favorite things into one-stop listening shop for you. So find us on your favorite podcatcher and on social media at Crime and Roses and email us at crimeandroses at gmail.com. Bye. Love you. Mean it. In July of 1996, Piper and Vance Striley, with their children Shayna and Nathan, lived in rural Canastota, South Dakota. They lived on a small acreage and operated a small Bible camp. On July 29th, after failing to appear at work, a co-worker named Patty Sinclair called the Striley residence, where three-year-old Shayna Striley answered the telephone. Sinclair asked Shayna if her mother was home. Shana responded with no. She asked if her father or a babysitter was there. Shana again replied no, and then she said, quote, they probably killed, end quote. She said bye and then hung up. Sinclair called back and kept Shana on the phone for about 40 to 50 minutes. During this time, Shana stated she did not want her mommy to die. She also stated she did not want her daddy to die. She did not want her daddy to be hurt. McCook County Sheriff Gene Taylor was notified. When Sheriff Taylor arrived, there was evidence that Piper had been kidnapped. The inside of the trailer was in disarray. Her purse was still there. A step to the front porch was overturned with nails sticking out. And inside... The two Striley children were home alone. Shayna was sobbing uncontrollably, while little Nathan seemed to be in a bit of a daze. Sheriff Taylor was in the home when Vance Striley called to see where his wife and children were. He usually picked them up from daycare. When he arrived, they weren't there, and he immediately called to try to contact his wife. Sheriff Taylor answered the phone and advised Mr. Striley to come home immediately. It was evident something terrible had happened, 
and a full-scale search ensued. Could a three-year-old have really witnessed her mother being abducted? It was also terrifying. Who abducts a woman from her home with her two young kids present? Shana knew, and she told everyone. A mean man took my mommy. Do you think that the search for Larissa was handled a bit differently than the search for Piper? Well, they, there was there was extensive searches for both women. Uh, they really did a they did a heavy search for Larissa, but the thing just went cold. I mean, they had armies of people searching where a body could be put. Uh, they were, you know, doing every bit of follow up. They brought, you know, they they did do a little bit more. I mean, bringing cadaver dogs in and things for Piper, but I mean, there were flyers put out. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff done to try to find Larissa. Of course. No one knew yet that the two cases were related. In shock, Vance waited for information through the night. And in a haze of anxious confusion, Vance paced. And then he remembered something. The stranger that stopped at the residence a few days earlier. The strange man that inquired about the Bible camp. The weird man drove a Ford Bronco, and he showed up before 8 a.m. the previous Friday. He stood on the porch and talked to Vance, when Piper came outside and handed over a piece of paper and a pen, he wrote his name and address on it so Vance could send a brochure. Vance searched frantically. He was sure it was right there. He swore he put it right there, and he couldn't find it anywhere. Vance notified police of this incident, and he recalled his name was Rob Anderson. He was pretty sure Anderson told him his father lived down the road. By the next morning, Robert Leroy Anderson was identified. Anderson was twice married with four children and was a maintenance worker at John Morrell's, the very same John Morrell's where Larissa Dumansky went missing years earlier. Law enforcement went to Anderson's home and a blue Bronco sat in the driveway. They apparently woke Anderson and advised that they would need to speak with him downtown. Anderson got dressed and drove himself to the police station. Police were able to search both Anderson's home and Bronco. Inside the Bronco, police found a modified plywood board. It had been made to accommodate wrist and ankle restraints. Several other items were found to be suspicious, like water-soluble black paint, wooden dowels, a chain, and a partial roll of duct tape. Even without knowing what the items found were used for, the police knew it couldn't be anything good. Phil told me about the strong feelings the prosecutor Larry Long had about Robert Leroy Anderson. Larry Long, who teamed with us on this book, he has 45 years in the judicial system. Uh, he's retired as a judge, but he still fills in when judges need to be on vacation. And he said in his whole career, the, uh, Robert Leroy Anderson is the most evil man he's ever encountered by far. Yeah, you know. Pretty strong quote for somebody that's been in the judicial system for 45 years. Here's the thing having Larry Long who prosecuted both those cases, he had everything. It was all laid right out for us. During Anderson's initial interrogation, it seemed like he was rather enjoying himself. It was like a finely choreographed dance with the devil. He didn't mind at all. Anderson denied having any knowledge of Piper's disappearance. Although he did admit to stopping at the Striley residence the previous Friday. Eventually, Anderson placed himself at the Stryley residence July 29th, and while searching Anderson's home, police found jeans in the laundry area with blood and semen on the inside. 
More washable black paint and a set of handcuffed keys was also found. The search for Piper continued into August, and with the help of a botanist from South Dakota State University, the search was focused in an area along the Big Sioux River near Baltic, South Dakota. In that area along the river, under a tree, they found half of Piper's shirt, and dangling from a branch was a wad of duct tape with hairs determined to be Piper's and torn from the roll in the Bronco. Nearby were lengths of rope and chains, eye bolts, a large vibrator, and a half-burnt candle, all of which painted the most sinister picture of what could have happened to Piper. A passing motorist stopped and picked up some black and white striped fabric laying on the highway near Baltic. Amazingly enough, he had shoved it underneath his seat, and there sat the other half of Piper's shirt until it was turned over to police. Shana and Vance were able to identify Anderson in a photo lineup, and on August 2nd, he was arrested on kidnapping charges. Anderson enjoyed showing off his high IQ to the officers who questioned him. Despite his brilliance, his arrogance got the best of him. You know, going back to um, talking about Anderson as an individual, I never realized that he had such a high level of intelligence, and that surprised me. When I look at the pictures of him, it just gives me chills. He has this sort of, sort of uh, maybe a shuttered, hollow set of eyes, and then this odd, amused smugness about him that I, it's just so out of place for me. It just doesn't scream high IQ. Did were you surprised as well to learn that? Yeah, we when we get involved in this, we both Sandy and I, we were thinking he was operating from a fairly low intellectual level, uh, but he was very, very intelligent. He was in advanced placement classes in high school for talented students. He was an engineering major, uh, postgraduate of high school, and uh, you know he was able to pull off some pretty sophisticated crimes at a pretty young age. Uh, You know, he was only in his mid-20s when he was doing these serial killings. And so he progressed pretty quick and was pulling some things off uh, for a pretty young guy. So it does, I guess it would show he does have an intelligence level, but extremely dangerous. In July 1997, Robert Leroy Anderson was convicted of kidnapping Piper Striley. And if he thought that was bad, things were about to get a whole lot fucking worse. A jailhouse snitch named Jeremy Bruner was able to convince Anderson that he could help. He could frame someone else for these crimes. But first, he had to know everything. It wasn't long before Anderson laid out every depraved detail. He told Bruner everything. It's probably no surprise that Jeremy Bruner found himself transformed from jailhouse snitch into the state star witness. It was this testimony that painted the darkest, most vile picture of a sexual sadist. It was here that we learned Robert Leroy Anderson was also responsible for the rape and murder of Larissa Dumansky, as well as the attempted abduction of Amy Anderson near T, South Dakota in November of 1994. Do you think that Larissa and Piper are his only victims? Well, we know... You know, he was he was looked into uh, in a couple other disappearances, but they cleared those. They knew where he was uh, when those happened and knew he wasn't involved. Was but that the Johnny Hosentrock case? Yeah, yes, the, the news anchor out of Iowa. Yeah. He, he was hev- heavily looked into that because the M.O. fit exactly, you know, the 
the same right, situation right. as Larissa Demansky. Uh, but he was cleared. The DCI, the Department of Criminal Investigation agents said that he was cleared of that one. But we do know that he had other women. He had their names written down, their habits, where they work, what time they get off work, what time they went home. So he was definitely not done. Oh, wow. Did, did that information come from Jeremy Bruner? That information came from uh, Jeremy Bruner. And then when they got a hold of uh, his longtime friend, uh, Glenn Walker, more information came out. So we know that he had he had other women staked out and was ready to get more. He actually, he actually trolled all around the area. If he saw a good-looking gal that caught his eye, he would follow her, you know, start taking notes, see where she lived, stake out the house, see who she lived with. You know, he, he was really, really getting his ducks in a row to get more women. That's insane. It was very calculating. Well, he's, uh, he's what the word evil means. Like I said, it was a difficult book to write. It was during this time that Anderson and a childhood friend Glenn Walker disabled Amy Anderson's car along a desolate road near T, South Dakota. Amy was giving a friend a ride home when she struck a metal object in the middle of the road. She was able to make it to her friend's house and thought she could make it back to town before their tire went flat. She was wrong and the tire went flat. She pulled over to change it. As Amy reached into her trunk, Anderson approached her and attempted to grab her. By some miracle, Amy was able to get free and flag down a passing motorist. This was a method that was used often to attempt to disable female motorists on dark, desolate roads. Thankfully, this method was mostly unsuccessful, and when Amy ran over one of the metal objects in the road, she successfully escaped the grip of her likely killer. Jeremy Bruner's information brought with it murder charges for Anderson. According to Jeremy Bruner's testimony, Anderson had help from his childhood friend, Glenn Walker, in the abduction of Larissa Dumansky. Bruner testified that Dumansky was driven out to Lake Vermilion, raped several times, and killed after Anderson had covered her mouth and nose with duct tape. Anderson drew a map and told Bruner at his grandmother's house he had hidden jewelry from both women. He admitted he was a serial killer and that those were his trophies. He wanted Bruner to kill Glenn Walker. Glenn Walker was the only witness to Larissa Demansky's rape and murder. He knew Glenn Walker would rat him out the first chance he got. Bruner said Anderson moved Larissa's skull to keep her from being ID'd if her remains were ever found. Underneath a chokecherry bush near Lake Vermilion where the ground was riddled with bullets from Anderson's 9mm, because apparently being dead wasn't enough. Bone fragments from her remains were found in various locations. Shana's experience was finally starting to come to light as well. The mean man shot his gun, yelled at Piper, and took her and Nathan's present, the little blue tent. He made sure Piper grabbed the piece of paper with his name and address on it as well. A highway department employee who was working on the Strileys Road that day reported he saw the black Bronco three times, once at 9.45, the second time about an hour later, and a final time at about 12.30. So this absolute piece of shit went back 
and probably terrified and tortured this little girl. And perhaps her mom, if she was restrained on the board, that was in the back of the Bronco. We'll never know for sure what happened next to the Big Sioux River that day, underneath that tree, because Piper's never been found. Tests were conducted on the Bronco, and it was confirmed that the washable black paint had been used to cover the entire Bronco and then was washed off after Piper was killed. With all of this information coming out in court, former co-workers and old high school friends other than Glenn Walker came forward and claimed that Anderson had always talked about abductions, rapes, murders. That other high school acquaintance, Jamie Hammer, stated Anderson had been fantasizing about that kind of stuff since high school. Real stand-up fucking citizens. A lady I work with is missing, but I'm not going to mention the guy that talks about rapes and murders and abductions. The fuck out of here. Sorry if I'm a little crass, but nothing makes me more fucking mad than do-nothing people. Robert Lee Anderson was very bold. I mean, he was already, he was foiled in his, his attempt one day to abduct Piper Stryley, and he went back a few days later and got it done. He was extremely bold. Once he decided he wanted a woman, he would go after her. Yeah, that's true. I guess yeah. in, with his encounter with Amy Anderson was, um, was yeah, it was. She was an extremely, extremely lucky young woman. Very, very lucky. Yeah, I agree. It, was there anything that you found that, w- that surprised you more than, more than anything else? Well, I think it surprised me of how bold he was. Uh, of course, we already talked about it. I was surprised how intelligent he was, but it surprised me how aggressively bold he was. I mean, he, he, he wanted Piper so badly when he was foiled, he, he went to their house on a Friday to abduct her, but her husband Banff was there. And Robert Lee Anderson did not have a handgun with him at that time. He made the decision a few days later when he went back that if the husband was there, he was going to shoot him and kill him and still take Piper. He just couldn't do it the first day that he went. So it surprised me how bold he was. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. He was, um, yeah, and the fact that he he also had friends that he talked to about this stuff and recruited or tried to recruit to help him is also, I mean, most people would think of it as, you know, not smart maybe, but but maybe that is just part of the boldness that that you that you talked about, you know. Well, you know, he he tried to get one childhood friend repeatedly to help him get involved in snatching women and doing these crimes and this uh that friend that longtime childhood friend turned him down repeatedly and then ended, ended up testifying against him where another longtime childhood friend agreed and got involved with the abductions and spent many years in prison for his efforts right right yeah i saw that so. he was uh paroled and was it 2016 yes yep he yeah. he did his time based based on good time served and he did his time and then there was no restrictions. He wasn't on parole and just left the state. And that was Glenn Walker, his longtime childhood friend yeah. so that helped yeah. him with some of these crimes. Well, good riddance to Glenn Walker from the state of South Dakota. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I'll bet he's maybe he'd probably squirming a little bit after duct tape killer came out. Oh, I bet. I bet. He probably changed his name or something. We should, we should track him down. Yeah. I'll bet he probably, (laughs) he probably has. I, I mean, I would honestly, as a matter of fact, probably in 1994, I was spending a lot of time that summer out at Lake Vermilion. My dad and my stepmom um, lived in Humboldt and I had a lot of friends over in Montrose and that's what we would do. Yeah, it, that was right. You know, that was right where it was all occurring, right? In that area. Yeah, yeah. I, w- I was about 12 or 13. And so, you know, things just are happening that I was just totally just not paying attention, I guess. And so I didn't really remember a whole lot about it. And yeah, so when I read your book, it was, I thought it was very well done, very detailed, easy to read. And, and I like that. April 6, 1999, Robert Leroy Anderson was found guilty of the rape and murder of Piper Striley and also the murder of Larissa Dumansky. Anderson was sentenced to death by lethal injection. March 30th, 2003, South Dakota said a little quiet hallelujah when the news broke that Robert Leroy Anderson had committed suicide while on death row awaiting his appeal. Wherever he is, I hope it hurts like hell. And that's enough of Robert Leroy Anderson. If you're looking for a good book, be sure to pick up Gitchy Girl, Gitchy Girl Uncovered, and Duct Tape Killer. The story of the Gitchy Manitou murders can be seen on Killer Siblings, streaming on the Oxygen Network. Episode number two, The Friar Brothers. You guys are, are teachers, correct? Yeah, I've been, I, yeah, I teach 10th grade English, and I, I have a heavy emphasis on teaching writing. Uh, I've been a teacher for 38 years. And so I'm in a high school in Sioux City, Iowa, and Sandy, who co-authors the books with me, she is a elementary teacher at Spalding Park Elementary in Sioux City, and she focuses on teaching reading and writing skills as well. So, Awesome. Awesome. So you guys are, you know, in the right area, I guess. Um, where can we get your books? Well, you know, now the best way to get them is just order them off Amazon. I mean, if you want to read them on a Kindle, they're you know, you can do that. Or if you want to order the paperback, probably I, I would just go to Amazon if anybody wants to order it. Thanks for having us on. And we did try to write some glimmers of good at the end with some yeah. of the families and where that, what direction they went. So we tried to, I, that's what we told Larry Long. I said, we're not going to, we can't leave this thing just as it is. We have yeah, to I felt add. That. I, I yeah, did. We I had felt to, that. We have to at least add the direction that these families went, that the victims' families and how successful they were and and how faithful they were and how they pulled through this whole thing. Yeah, your style is really refreshing, so I appreciate it. And I look forward to any of your other future works there, Phil and Sandy. <laughs> yeah, she's she's chasing grandkids around right now. <laughs> I figured, I figured. But yeah, um, I'll let you get back to those grandkids too, and I really appreciate your time. Once again, big thanks to Phil and Sandy Heyman. And if you like our little podcast... Don't forget to like, subscribe, and give us a review. Find us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Musical credit goes to Mark Wallach, who, as always, is the artist behind our intro and outro music. Also, Citizen DJ through the Library of Congress with the song Mary's Dream, Young Poet, and Shantara Bird with Anyway. 
Young Poet and Shantara Bird are artists local to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You can find Young Poet on SoundCloud, and you can find Shantara anywhere you stream music. Until next time, bye!